Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you just like them better? I mean, it's this whole idea, whether it's in the workplace or it's at home, that, that somebody has declared that they're not the favorite, that you've picked out a favorite, that there's another set of people or there's this other individual that you always give preferential treatment to, you always help them out, you don't help them out as much, you know, they feel like they've been slighted in all sorts of ways. Or maybe you've been in that situation where you feel like the whole group kind of ignored you and, and they've picked out another member of the group that they always got the better end of the deal. They always got all of the attention, uh, the jokes that they told, everybody laughed so hard at them. Or maybe it was even in your own family uh, where it felt like your siblings just got a little bit more attention from mom and dad or uh, in some kind of social setting where you just felt like the outsider. Well, the pursuit of holiness means that the people around us should never have that kind of perspective. They should never feel like they're slighted, like you've played favorites with someone else. And that's because the pursuit of holiness never occurs in a relational vacuum. When James writes his letter to the early Christians of the New Testament church, uh, you've got to remember that he wasn't writing to an individual person, but that he was writing to all of the believers. And just like in our day, uh, in his day, there was the opportunity that people would not take notice of everybody around them. That sometimes people would fall out to the fringes of the group or there would be someone who would become more popular than others. We need to make sure that as we pursue holiness that we do it in the context of all of the people that are around us. Uh, that we, we never lose sight that everybody needs grace. And really, if you're going to pursue holiness, which means taking on the ways and the will of God as primary in your life, it means that grace for others is always a priority. One of the things that we have to do is see people like Jesus saw you. Now, we fall into the temptation of categorizing people. We categorize people based on their economics. Uh, we look out across our towns and our cities and our communities and we pick people who are poor or who are wealthy or are middle class. And, and so we have all of these ways by which we put people into these little financial boxes. Uh, we categorize people along ethnic lines. We decide that they're different from us and they have different cultural practices or maybe different nuances in the way that they speak or way that they go about their daily lives. And so we categorize them as different, separate, not like us, sometimes not even equal to us. Or even it could be because of their job. You work downtown, they work in the suburbs. Uh, you're blue collar, they're white collar. Somehow we don't have very much in common with one another. Or we go all the way to categorizing people based on the team that they love. Well, that person is a fan of, the, of my rival. And so on Saturdays, when it's football season, we really can't talk. We can't text. We can't trade funny posts on Facebook because somebody's going to get offended. And yet, James is really clear that from the silly to the incredibly serious, Whenever we look at another person, we need to make sure that we're seeing them as Jesus sees them. Here in James chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. 
it's not just don't show favoritism, but he says don't show favoritism as you're holding on to your faith. These two things are intrinsically connected to one another, the way that you live out your faith and the way that you treat other people. And then through this passage, James takes us through an illustration of a church gathering in the first century. But what we find is that the church gatherings of the first century are a whole lot like ours in the 21st century because he gives this illustration of two people who come into the gathering of the church. One is well-dressed and obviously wealthy. He's got his whole life put together. And another person comes in and they're disheveled and they're poorly dressed and obviously impoverished a little bit. So the one who's got his, all, his whole life put together is given the seat of honor. He's shown to the front row. You know, everybody pays attention to him. Whereas the person whose life is kind of out of sorts is told to sit down on the floor, kind of get out of the way, make sure that you don't bother anybody else. That's not the way that we're supposed to live. Because when you pursue holiness so that you'll look like Jesus, think about how Christ interacted with the crowds the people that he associated with. I mean, he was actually accused of, of associating very oftentimes with the wrong crowd, of being around the drunkards and the gluttons. Well, that's because those accusations were right. That's who Jesus hung out with. He went to find the people who were in need of grace. You see, we were covered by grace, and so that should be the lens that we use with other people that we don't give in to the standards of the world that are saying, hey, make sure that you recognize the powerful. Make sure that you take care of the people that are well off financially. Make sure that you associate only with people that are just like you ethnically, culturally, and like the same athletic team that you do. But rather that you look at all the people of the world as those who need grace just like you do. It is this place where giving value and validity means that you are going to reject this favoritism that James is warning us about. Because favoritism undermines the worth of people who need the grace that Christ so easily offers to us. As you move through James chapter 2, he says in verse 8, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. I mean, think about the power of the description that James gives right here. That this law coming from the mouth of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, is the royal law of Scripture. This is not like a sideline rule. This is not something that is arbitrary or something that is optional. But this is the law that, that James describes as royal now, it's natural that you and I go into self-protective mode, you know, that we want to make sure that we're taken care of and that everything in our life is, is orderly, that it's neat, that it's all put together, that, that to make sure that we've got our financial house in order, to make sure that our job is, is progressing, to make sure that life inside of our little circle is doing well. Consider for a moment what would happen is as you pursue holiness, if you chose to protect others with the same ferocity that you choose to protect your own life, that you love your neighbor as yourself, that looks a lot like Jesus because it is with this incredible ferocity 
that he comes down to the earth in order to serve us so incredibly well. The holiness that we will have in our relationships is not based on the idea that you looked into another person's life and you saw that they were similar to you, or you decided to go find somebody who was very dissimilar to you and, and that you somehow just wanted to give them a leg up in life. But rather, holiness in your relationship means that you are driven by the fact that God has placed His image within that other person. You're not loving them based on what they can do for you, and you're not rejecting them based on the whims of current cultural realities but rather you're engaging with them because you know that just as God put his image in you, he's put his image in them, and it makes them of great value to the Christ that you belong to. You're pursuing holiness not as a theoretical idea that you want to be a moral, ethical person that everybody can look at as a paragon of virtue, but that Instead, you want to be the conduit by which God is going to communicate His grace that we have discovered in Christ Jesus. And it's going to be given to people who are His image bearers that are still broken by sin. We need relationships that are always going to be characterized by grace rather than categorized by all of the descriptions of the world and characterized by the selfishness that we see in the world. Our current relationships are not temporary issues, but they have eternal consequences. Everybody that you know, whether it's the neighbor down the street that never mows their lawn quite the way that you do, or the person who's the president of the homeowners association that's always policing everybody's shrubbery, Maybe it's the secretary at work that is always counting to see how many copies somebody made on the copier machine, or it's your boss who's very hands-off and, and very loose with, his, uh, with the work that he does with you. No matter how it is that that person operates with you, you have to see them through the eternal lens of God's work in the world, not that they're interruptions. Not that these are people who are temporary residents into your life, but that these are people that could be eternal neighbors with you in God's kingdom. Again, here in James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You can choose the way of being noticed and being first and being at the top of the heap, or you can choose the way of holiness, uh, the one way that prioritizes other people, that helps them to encounter and intersect the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. But you cannot choose both. You cannot choose both being noticed and being a servant. You can't choose both the way of arrogance and the way of holiness, but rather we can lay ourselves aside just as Christ did, and we can choose to love our neighbor as ourself. Holiness is setting aside your will in favor of God's will that has to work in real time with real people in the world. As I've said before already, there's no place in any of this journey for just a theoretical Christianity, where you talk about it in a small group and say, yeah, those other people are really important, 
but then you go about your daily life as if you are living in a bubble. You don't live in a relational vacuum, and that is a good thing because the way of holiness and pursuing it is always best done with friends, both old and new.